I'm, I'm really speaking about all of humanity, you know, without exception of anybody, you know. And I, I know that um, a lot of the content in the songs is very heavy, you know, but uh, see, fantasy is what people want, but reality is what they need. And I've just retired from the fantasy part because I realized that. Claim the love. Yes, make no mistake. There is life in abundance. 
Emerge from cocoon to Sapapion. Hungry caterpillar blossom from a dream fully grown. Used to be scary. Wonder what they think of me. All fizz evolved in the confidence eventually. Now I rip stages. Bust down the microphone. Study with the sages. Dust down the microphone. Channeling the greatest. Speak through the mouthpiece. Little red bone fire tada from the southeast. Run with the warriors. Armors on my chest plate. Meet you with the battle horns. Blaring at the west gate. No time for dead weight. I'm moving vertically. Will I miss the planet when I blast off? Certainly, don't take it personally. Earth and zone and the sign. Difference gets you hunted like contestants on the running man. Homogeny is dated, and I am the future. I'm headed for the sun and the moon. Punky Brewster. Brewster. Step into your spaceship, atmospheric hovering. Wind blown, star seeds, black soil covering. Germinating heavyweights, deep space navigate. Chances on elevate, cosmic sound, thundering, thundering, thundering. My arms crossed, standing on through 60. Long skirt, gold hoop, rings like a gypsy. Pull your heartstrings till your eyeballs are misty. Emotions hard to swallow like a strong shot of whiskey. Shifting, transformate as I'm lifting. Light beams shine, got the body form glistening. My grind metaphysical, spiritual hustler. I am a wild seed like Octavia Butler. They study my demeanor, trying to get my lotus pose. Drop a cool 16 with my poet's prose like I'm Nikki. Definitely not my nod, Giovanni. I'm tripping off my ego with my dude. Go Falani, Wallahi. I am not the last but the first. I journey to the planet so my star seeds disperse. I put it in a ditty so you memorize my verse. And I'm making revolutions because I send black desserts. Step into your spaceship, atmospheric hovering. Wind blown star seeds, black soil covering. Germinating I'm spinning like a vortex, astral form vibrate, well-developed cortex, lesser rapids irate. They song to space, make the crowd titillate and gyrate. I give them sustenance and make glands salivate. Rock a show, fitted in some skinny pants, high waist. Don't let the look fool you, bruh. My flow annihilates. Living in now, why wait? Show them love, why hate? You scared to get your achy ticket rope like race sideways. I take it easy, blood. I'm a smooth operator. I won't bomb you now, but I will freeze you later. Cause ignorance is frequently the deep, not my nature. That's commonly found in your life. I know for paper, I'm known as the savior, so I'm a civilizer. That's the only way a savage live with a fiber. I came from the mothership, just as Elijah, cause this space cadet can't get any flying. Flying into your spaceship, atmospheric hovering, wind blown star seeds, black soil covering, germinating heavyweights, deep space navigate, chances on elevate, cosmic sound, uttering, uttering. And so when we study the ancient gods, understand you are the incarnate virtue of those ancient gods.
Joyous, joyful exaltations and greetings to those who liberate themselves. Welcome to Women Wednesday. I'm your host, Mariama Tanay. I'm so grateful that you're here to join me on this journey of evolution and revolution within the mind, the power of the spirit, setting it free through the word sound power over Sam. Tonight's theme is what is the Hegelian dialectic and why it's important to know, part three, HD in real time. we got to clear our vision and see past the BS, all the minutiae, the crap that they're blinding our eyes with and distracting our thoughts and trying to overwhelm the senses, understand, so that you can't see true to you and the indwelling spirit of the Most High that resides. We're going to start off tonight with the praise up, and I'm going to turn to Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. See, the energy that I feel happening right now is that we are in Enochian times. It just came to my spirit so strongly. And so June, Jude 1, 14, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesies of these sayings. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. And Genesis 5, 22, and Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. So we see here that Enoch 
was blessed. So I'm going to turn to the book of Enoch, starting at chapter 61. Chapter 61. Thus the Lord commanded the kings, the princes, the exalted, and those who dwell on earth, saying, Open your eyes and lift up your horns if you are capable of comprehending the elect one. The Lord of spirits sat upon a throne of his glory, and the spirit of the righteousness was poured over him. The word of his mouth shall destroy all the sinners and all the ungodly who shall perish at his presence. And that day shall all the kings and the princes, the exalted, and those who possess the earth stand up, behold, and perceive that he is sitting on the throne of his glory. For him the saints shall be judged in righteousness, and that nothing which shall be spoken before him shall be spoken in vain. Trouble shall come upon them as upon a woman in travail, whose labor is severe, when her child comes to the mouth of the womb and she finds it difficult to bring forth. One portion of them shall look upon another. They shall be astonished and shall humble their countenance and trouble shall seize them when they shall behold this son of woman sitting upon the throne of his glory. Then these kings, the princes, and all who possess the earth glorify him who has dominion over all things. Him who was concealed, for from the beginning of the Son of Man existed in secret, whom the Most High preserved in the presence of his power and revealed to the elect. He shall sow the congregation of the saints and of the elect, and all the elect shall stand before him in that day. All the kings, the princes, the exalted, and those who rule over all the earth shall fall down on their faces before him and shall worship him. They shall fix their hopes on the Son of Man, shall pray to him and petition him for mercy. Then shall the Lord of Spirits hasten to expel them from his presence. Then shall the Lord of Spirits hasten to expel them from his presence. Their faces shall be full of confusion, and their faces shall darkness cover. The angels shall take them to punishment, that the vengeance may be inflicted on those who have oppressed his children and his elect. And they shall become an example to the saints and to his elect. Through them shall these be made joyful. Through them shall these be made joyful, for the anger of the Lord of spirits shall rest upon them. Then the sword of the Lord of the spirits shall be drunk with their blood, but the saints and the elect shall be safe in that day. Nor the face of the sinners and the ungodly shall they thenceforward behold. The Lord of spirits shall remain forever over them. And with this Son of Man shall they dwell, eat, lie down, and rise up forever and ever. The saints and the elect have arisen from the earth. They have left off to depress their countenances and have been clothed with the garment of life. The garment of life is with the Lord of spirits, in whose presence your garment shall not wax old, nor shall your glory diminish. 
nor shall your glory diminish. In those days, the kings who possess the earth shall be punished by the angels of his wrath. They shall be delivered up that he may give rest for a short period, that they may fall down and worship before the Lord of spirits, confessing their sins before him. They shall bless and glorify the Lord of spirits, saying, Blessed is the Lord of spirits, the Lord of kings, the Lord of princes, the Lord of the rich, the Lord of the glory, the Lord of wisdom. He shall enlighten every secret thing. Your power is from generation to generation, and your glory forever and ever. Deep are all your secrets and numberless, and your righteousness cannot be calculated. Now we know that we should glorify and bless the Lord of kings, him who is king over all things. They shall also say, who has granted us rest to glorify, Lord, bless, and confess in the presence of his glory? And now small is the rest we desire, but we do not find it. We reject it and do not possess it. The light has passed away from before us, and the darkness has covered our thrones forever. But we have not confessed before him. We have not glorified the name of the Lord King. We have not glorified the Lord at all his works, but we have trusted in the scepter of our dominion and of our glory. In the day of our sufferings and of our trouble, he will not save us. Neither shall we find rest. We confess that our Lord is faithful in all his works, in all his judgments, and in his righteousness. In his judgments, he pays no respect to persons, and we must depart from his presence on account of our evil deeds. All our sins are truly without number, and they shall say to themselves, Our souls are satiated with the instruments of crime, but that prevents us not from descending to the flaming womb of hell. Afterwards, their countenance shall be filled with darkness and confusion before the Son of Man from whose presence they shall be expelled, and before whom the sword shall remain to expel them, the Lord of Spirits. This is the decree and the judgment against the princes, the kings, the exalted, and those who possess the earth in the presence of the Lord of Spirits. Overstand, the judgment has already been written. The times are testing. And we have to be ready. We have to see clear. See past the HD that's being inflicted. Making us conflicted. Because the purpose is to ultimately confound. Overstand. I'm going to take a music moment and come back with tonight's theme. What is the Hegelian dialectic? Why it's important to know. Part 3, HD in real time. Blessings and grace. Or 
Chani to name every day, them attack. Man to the face back to them attack. Too much time for the man clock food, them a watch with fist. Love it usually blunts them a rough friendship. We refuse with the mice on my plot. Island powder, rope to tight knots, and a deep old six foot teeth. Them a drop on the feet. Look in there, shall be no mishap. Not even a son, I'm a lot to the chat. Green fan showing up at them just a cut to the bone from the head and a free figure snot. Yeah, me dash and me the match. Bone down the edge and them will swing to the ash. Just fall him rain down the drain, them a watch. He look themself out with nah, but a lot. No. Uh, so we on to the next one Strong like the military arm of division Calm in the eye of the storm on the mission Vibration accelerate cognition Recognition we need the precision You lost the belief for the keys have been hidden uh, It was seen as forbidden It's easy to see why you need your religion
Life is a beautiful adventure. Blessings and grace, and I'm back. HD in real time. The whole point of the Hegelian dialectic is to change the conversation, confound the conversation, break down the conversation into subparticles that stand on their own, then ultimately rearranging the context of each subparticle to the point that the original conversation is lost in translation, barely recognizable. Overstand lost in translation. A whole new context is then established on which meetings, committees, framed and stacked by those who have diverged focus from the original intent, steer the mind away from the specific original issue, turning what you requested into a barrage of inconsequential, non-relevant, presupposed details about said request. The way in which the request was made the issue, the way the request was demonstrated the issue, the way the request was worded the issue, the messenger of the request is the issue, the symbology of the request is the issue, how the symbology conflicts with other symbology currently holding place becomes the issue deters one's mind and actions away from the original issue, as well as the request made to resolve the original issue, thereby allowing the ones who request, the ones who are requested to or the conversation was brought to, to remain intact. They remain unfractured, having to contribute nothing tangible nothing in terms of resolution, continuing to commit the original grievances as the other party is lost in context. To confound, overstand, the con is found. The con is found. Find the con. That's how you see through HD, overstand. You find the con. Okay? So to confound means to bring to ruin, to destroy, to baffle, to frustrate. Conferences are not for accomplishment, but to confound. Canavish tricks, that was said by John Kenneth Gilbrath. All right, to waste, to consume, to put to shame, discomfit, to refute, to damn, to throw a person into confusion or perplexity. Tactics to confound the enemy, to fail to discern differences between, to mix up, okay, to increase the confusion of, okay, the confoundment, all right, so the issue in real time, fatality and unwarranted killings of unarmed people of color, specifically African Americans by police and police consistently not being punished for these crimes. So then the response is the Black Lives Matter movement marches against the injustice of police who kill going unpunished. Colin Kaepernick not standing for the national anthem because the country was not standing up or by black and brown people, by unwarranted harassment, brutality, and killings of unarmed black and brown men, women, and children by police. Other NFL players and people refused to stand for the national anthem. Even veterans, the veterans, 
on Business Insider in their military and defense section, soldiers speak out on Ker- and on Kaepernick. His pro- his protest makes him more American than anyone. This is with the veterans who are currently serving in the military. Colin Kaepernick's decision to sit or kneel in silent protest during the national anthem before the NFL games has attracted praise and criticism since he began doing it more than a year ago. Then the 49ers quarterback said he was not going to stand to, uh, to show pride in a flag for a country that oppressed black people and people of color. Okay, so he's exercising his constitutional right. You know, and so veterans have continued to voice their support in opposition to the manner to the manner in which Kaepernick protested protested systematic racism and police and police brutality. In the manner in which he protested. I I can tell you, speaking for three generations of my family, it's precisely for men like Copernicus and his right to peacefully protest injustice that we were willing to serve. Okay, so out the same mouth, he's saying that he's fighting for the rights of people like him to peacefully protest injustice. Michael Sands, a Green Beret, who is the son of a World War II veteran and father of an Army officer who served, in Af- who served in Afghanistan, we want to respect the American flag, then respect the ideals for which it stands. Bullying language and calling peaceful protesters sons of bitches who should be fired aren't among them. Army veteran Chad Longo, writing in the right-leaning independent journal Journal Review downplayed Trump's comments and called on Copernicus and others to embrace the flag and the anthem, focusing on the values those symbols represent will empower us to find the path toward being forward to the type of future we all desire. So again, it's the symbols and what they represent that the Army veteran Chad Longell is trying to turn ones to. But it's the, it's the one that was said prior by the Green Beret. What's the point of fighting if not for people's right to peacefully protest injustice? Okay, and so the confoundment, the confoundment was the All Lives Matter movement. That response changes the context of the stated movement, thereby diverting the conversation, making it a versus statement as opposed to a, and um, as opposed to statement, one as opposed to the other, All Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter, talks that George Soros funded the, the, um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And if he did, so what? For real. But now it's about George Soros and him winning or getting what he wants and those who oppose him and what he gains by funding it. And I say, so what? Because the, the whole statement of Black Lives Matter needed to be said and put into the universe at the end of the day. Somebody had to fund it. And then rumors that protesters were paid protesters, and if they were, so what? Who has the ability to miss days to protest? And the majority cannot. But those that can have. And after those hundreds of thousands of people marched across America, as we saw last year when the demonstrations really reached the fever pitch, all those people weren't paid at the end of the day. So now the majority, so now you have um, instigators, agitators, and paid performers are in place now within the conversation. And then people are run over by a car and one killed 
marching in support of Black Lives Matter. Then you have the Antifa movement further confounding the situation, who are representing and repeatedly displaying characteristics of what I feel to be agent provocateurs. And an agent provocateur means inciting agent, a person who commits or acts to entice another person to commit an illegal or rash act or falsely implicate them in partaking in an illegal act. An agent provocateur may be acting out of their own sense of duty or may be employed by the police or other entity to discredit or harm another group, such as a peaceful protester or a demonstration by provoking them to commit a crime, thereby undermining the protest, or them doing the crime themselves, thereby undermining the protest or the demonstration as a whole. You know, and this whole Antifa phenomenon, you know, on um, CNN.com, they have an article called, What is Antifa? And so um, after the protest in Charlotte, Charlottesville, Virginia, is heard violent on Sunday, leaving one person dead and dozens injured. The world is still grappling with what happened, who was involved and why. So hundreds of white nationalists took to the streets over the weekend to protest, you know. So Antifa, in short, is um, anti-fascist. The term is, is used to define a broad group of people whose political, whose political beliefs lean toward the left, often the far right but do not conform with the Democratic Party platform. The group doesn't have an official leader or headquarters, although groups in certain states hold regular meetings. Antifa positions can be hard to define, but many members support oppressed populations and protest the amassing of wealth by corporations and the elite. So some employ radical or militant tactics to get their message across. Scott Crow, a former Antifa organizer, says that radical ideas promoted by Antifas are starting to be adopted by liberals. They would never have looked at those ideals before because they saw us as the enemy as much as the right-wingers. The majority of, Anti of Antifa members don't fall into a stereotype. Since the election of President Donald Trump, however, most new Antifa members are young voters. So the exact origins of the group are unknown, but Antifa can be traced to Nazi Germany and the anti-fascist action, a militant group founded in the 1980s in the, in the um, United Kingdom. Modern-day members of Antifa have become more active in making themselves known at public rallies and within the progressive movement. Um, what they're trying to do now is not only become prominent through violence at high-profile rallies, but to also reach out through small meetings and through their social networking to cultivate disenfranchised progressives who heretofore were peaceful, Levin says. So um, members have been spotted at high-profile right-wing events across the country, and um, they also protested at, you know, Donald Trump's inauguration and um, that guy Milo Yiannopoulos. And um, what it, what, while, while it can be difficult to distinguish Antigua, Antifa activists from their protesters, some dress head to toe in black. Members call this the black block. Hmm. The black block, and they dress head to toe in black. They also wear masks to hide their identities from police and whomever they are protesting. So why are they controversial? The group is known for causing damage to property during protests. In Berkeley, black-clad protesters wearing masks threw Molotov cocktails and smashed windows at the Student Union Center um, where the event was being held. And 
Crow, who was involved with Antifa for almost 30 years, said members use violence as a means of self as as a means of self defense, as they believe property destruction does not equate to violence. Hmm. So that's a little bit about Antifa, you know, and the confoundment that's surrounding the original issue, which is police brutality, unwarranted killing of unarmed people of color, specifically African Americans, by police, and police not being punished for these crimes. Right, And then so further confounding it, they are not hiring Copernicus. NFL players are locking arms during the anthem. NFL players are kneeling before the anthem. NFL players not being on the field during the anthem. And then it went as far as DirecTV. DirecTV put their hands in it, and they offered, um, they offered full refunds. The NFL Sunday ticket customers who said they are offended by the NFL players disrespecting the American flag. DirecTV customers can call or cancel online in order to in, in, in order to receive a full refund of up to $300. They must choose the option that says that they are offended by NFL players kneeling during the national anthem. The Wall Street Journal reports that DirecTV began offering the NFL Sunday ticket refunds after calls flooded customer service from angry customers asking for cancellations. This is ridiculous. And then it went as far as now the Christian schools are getting involved. And so on rawstory.com, Christian school boots black players off football teams for protesting during the anthem. A Christian school in Texas ordered two black student athletes to immediately take off their uniforms as they were kicked off the team for protesting racial injustice during the national anthem. Cedric Ingram Lewis raised his first his his fist while his cousin Larry McCullough knelt during the anthem ahead of the team's game against the Providence Classical, the Houston Chronicle reported. After the anthem ended, the head coach, Ronnie Mitchum, instructed them to take off their uniforms and kick them off the team. Mitchum is a former Marine and a pastor who started the church-based football program in Crosby six years ago. Victory and Praise Christian Academy set of 11 players as the field per team, and the VP Chalks only had, six, only had field six who can play on the 80-yard field instead of the traditional 100 yards. With such a small program, it was even more surprising that the victory and praise coach, Ronnie Mitchum, kicked two players off the squad less than two weeks ago. The Christian school blamed a 40-point loss on having three injured players. He told us to take off our uniforms and leave, sophomore Cedric Ingram Lewis told the Cron. His mother plans to complain but doesn't want her son back on the team. A man with integrity and morals and ethics and who truly lives by what he lives by that wouldn't have done anything like that, Rhonda Brady said. So for him to do what he did, that really spoke volumes. And I don't want my children or my nephew to be around a man with no integrity. Amen to that, sister. You know, so then school officials, students must stand for anthem or face loss of playing participation. And it's going across the country to other um you know, states. And so then the the NBA just sent out the memo reinforcing the rule that, um, that, that, that players and coaches must stand for the national anthem. The NBA sent a memo late Friday to teams 
reinforcing its rule that players and coaches stand for the national anthem, suggesting other ways in which they might address protest movement sweeping across the NFL and other sports. Okay? Suggesting other ways in which they might address the recent protest movement. The memo, a copy of which was obtained by ESPN, this is on ESPN.com, by the way, was distributed by Deputy Commissioner Mark Tatum. It instructs the teams of the league office will determine how to deal with any possible instances in which a player, coach, or trainer does not stand for the anthem. The memo states that individual teams do not have the discretion to waive the rules that players, coaches, and staff, and, um, and staff stand for the anthem. The league has the league has the discretion to discipline players who violate the rule. It is not clear if the league would would exercise it in the event of any protest. The league also does not want teams independently disciplining players, sources say, and has encouraged open dialogue with teams. In the memo, Tatum suggests teams might address the current political climate by having players and coaches give a joint pregame address at their first home game. Okay? Give a pregame address during the first home games. This could include a message of unity and how the team is committed to bringing the community together this season, the memo states. The memo also suggests prepare a video tribute or a public service announcement featuring team leadership speaking about the issues they care about. The memo comes a day after Commissioner Adam Silver said he expects players to stand for the anthem. You know, so it's, it's, it's just gone so far. And so the clarity, right, the clarity, the focus is now on the song, the national anthem. Is it racist, right? They, they made it about the song, so then let's be clear. The song is racist. And so beautifully put on, um, put together by TheRoot.com, Star Spangled Bigotry, the hidden racist history of the national anthem. You know, and so it's that, it's that second verse that they don't sing. You know, and it's a part of the song. And where is that band who so violently swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country, should leave us no more? Their blood has washed out of their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave. Okay? No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now, this was because there were, in other words, he was saying that the blood of all the former slaves and hirelings on the battlefield will wash away the pollution of the British invaders, with the key, with key still bitter that some black soldiers got the best of him in a few weeks earlier. The Star Spangled Banner is as much a patriotic song as it is a diss to black people who had the audacity to fight for their freedom. Because, see, the British offered freedom if you fought on their side. You know, he was on a boat begging for the release, you know, of his friends, a doctor named William Beast. He was on a boat waiting to see if the British would release his friend. And he saw the bloody battle at Fort McHenry in Baltimore. You know, so this whole song is wrought with blood energy. Blood energy. 
And um, he put those lines in there, you know, and people saying this. They sang this, the Star Spangled Banner. We were taught this in school. You know, and so a particular note was Key's opposition to the idea of the colonial Marines. The Marines were a battalion of runaway slaves who joined the British Royal Army in exchange for their freedom. The Marines were not only a terrifying example of what slaves would do if given the chance, but also a repudiation of white superiority that men like Key were so invested in. Okay? So those words were there purposefully. So let's so let let's be clear about the song. Okay? The clarity. And then the real reason that the national anthem was incorporated into sports was to drum up ticket sales and to encourage enthusiasm for the game due to World War One. Okay, again on ESPN.com, if you want to check it out, the song remains the same is the name of the article. You know, and so there was a war, World War One, which blackened everything, including the national pastime. The U.S. entered the war 17 months earlier, and in that time, some 100,000 American soldiers died. Veterans who survived often came home maimed and shell-shocked from encounters with modern warfare's first mechanized mass-killing machines. At home, the public mood was sullen and anxious. The war strained the economy and the workforce, including baseball. The government began drafting major leaguers for military service that summer and ordered baseball to end the regular season by Labor Day. As a result, the 1918 series was the lone October classic played entirely in September. World War I wasn't the only issue weighing heavily on the fans. The day before the first game, a bomb ripped through Chicago Federal Building, killing four people and injuring 30. The industrial workers of the world were thought to be behind the attack, a retaliation for the conviction of several World War members of federal, of federal sedition charges in the court um, of Judge Landis. Domestic terrorism, which that was, didn't exactly generate interest in a lighthearted day at the ball game. So what they started doing is that when the people came back during their furloughs, um, they would go back and play baseball. So because they were now on furlough from the Army, Navy, Air Force, or the Marines, and back to playing on their team, you know, um, in the military, they had to sing that song. And so they played the song, and they noticed that when they did, the people had interest like during whole games the entire game would be silent people would cheer maybe once or twice throughout a whole game but when they played the song first there was enthusiasm throughout the entire game and they felt as if though they were doing something for their country so the cubs front office realized and witnessed it was something unique and for the next two games it had played the star spangled banner during the seventh inning stretch to similarly enthusiastic crowds, and by game three, a bigger crowd was in attendance, you know, because it was written up. When it was written up in the newspapers, the first line was about the song, and not, and so the, and then the latter part of the article would be about the game. So not to be outdone, the Red Sox ratcheted up the pageantry, and when the series relocated to Boston for the next three games at Fenway Park, the Star Spangled Banner was moved from the seventh inning stretch to the pregame festivities. 
and the team coupled the playing of the song with the introduction of wounded soldiers who had also received free tickets. So like the Chicago fans, the normally reserved Boston crowd erupted for the pregame anthem and the hobbled heroes. As the Tribune wrote of the wounded soldiers at Game 6, their entrance on crutches supported supported by their comrades, evoked louder cheers than anything that the athletes did on the diamond. So then they became emotionally connected to the game by seeing, you know, um, people that are disabled that were made so by the war being carried in and on crutches and in wheelchairs and then singing that flag song, the Star-Spangled Banner, before the game. And they became intertwined ever since. And so the clarity continues with who is real, right? Who's real? Politicians taking knees as opposed to drafting legislation that puts police through extensive psychological checks that shows undeniable statistical proof that provides real checks and balances over police activities with incorporated swift and severe punishment for those who go against it, regularly demonstrated. Right? That seems easy enough to do. <laughs> but, you know, you know, they're not weeding out who can just go and become a police officer. They're not doing back. I mean, what kind of background checks are you doing if there's all these people who are part of these, you know, um, KKK and extreme organizations that there are footprints on the Internet that show that? And now they're chief of police somewhere. Not one politician dare go against the police. So it's clear now, if it was not before, that we live in a police state. We live in a police state. It's real. Those hundreds of thousands of people who march nationwide made no impact on their so-called elected officials. If there was, there'd be legislation, there'd be a change, there'd be a new way in which standards are bared. Nor did people hold their elected officials accountable for ignoring their mass actions, befuddled by all the confoundment. So then the next issue, Hurricane Maria destroys Puerto Rico. God bless Puerto Ricans in this time of need. I mean, this is so, you know, horrible the way it's been handled from beginning to end. Puerto Ricans are really being treated on an international level for all the world to see as second-class citizens. And that's horrible. No one should have to go through that. African-Americans know what that feels like. The response, right, because it's the issue, the response, the confoundment, and then you find the clarity. All right, so the response was the press was on the scene. The press was on the scene prior to help, showing and proving the lack of response and the desolation. Where was FEMA and the armed forces? The press was there. At least FEMA should have been in place prior and during as the press was, especially since their website says they have mobile units. They don't have centers. All their units are mobile knowing the magnitude of the upcoming storm. They could have reinforced structures in preparation for the storm to minimize the devastation. 
The same thing could have been done in Texas. The same thing could have been done during Katrina and all the other devastations that we know happen on an annual basis at a certain time. You know, we know it's coming. We don't know how many, but we know it's coming. At least one were made. After approximately eight days, the mayor of San Juan holds a press conference, literally begging for help, sending an SOS through the international broadcast airwaves. Hurricane Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico September 20th, 2017. September 20th. Relief was not deployed until September 29th. Nine days. Relief was not deployed until September 29th. So the confoundment, the president focused on the NFL. The president focused on the flag. The president said at a rally following Hurricane Maria, wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out. He's fired. He's fired. You know, some owner's going to do that. He's going he's gonna to say, that guy that disrespects our flag, he's fired. And that owner, they don't know it. They don't know it. They'll be the most popular person for a week. <laughs> They'll be the most popular person for a week. They'll be the most popular person in this country. When the NFL ratings are down massively, massively. Look at his word sound power. The NFL ratings are down massively. Now, the number one reason happens to be they like watching what's happening with yours truly. They like what's happening because, you know, today, if you had to hit too hard, 15 yards, throwing him out the game, they had that last week. I watched for a couple of minutes. Two guys just really beautifully tackle. Boom, 15 yards. The referee gets on television. His wife is sitting at home. She's so proud of him. They're ruining the game. They're ruining the game. That's what they want to do. They want to hit. It's hurting the game. But you know what's hurting the game more than that? When people like yourselves turn on television and you see those people taking the knee, when they are playing our great national anthem, the only thing you could do better is if you see it. Even if it's on one player, leave the stadium. I guarantee things will stop. Things will stop. Just pick up and leave. Pick up and leave. It's not the same game anymore anyway. Hurricane Maria is devastating, demolishing Puerto Rico. And President Trump is at a rally saying those words verbatim. Cargo was shipped with food and provisions after a week and a half, but remained at port, even though it was deployed nine days later. The food and provisions remained at port with no way to get to the people in need for almost two weeks. The president put repeated focus then on the debt Puerto Rico had prior to the devastation of Hurricane Maria. You know, and then he tweets about their debt, which is disgusting. And it doesn't make any sense than to be talking about debt in a time of devastation. Texas and Florida are doing great, but Puerto Rico, which was already suffering from broken infrastructure and massive debt, is in deep trouble. If you knew it had broken infrastructure and massive debt, and these are quote-unquote Americans, and FEMA knew this, why weren't they there prior? 
with reinforcements. You know, so he also tweeted, it's an old electrical grid, which was in terrible shape, was devastated. Much of the island was destroyed with billions and billions of dollars owed to Wall Street and the banks, which sadly must be dealt with. These people's homes, memories destroyed. Owed to Wall Street. Owed to Wall Street and the banks, which sadly must be dealt with. Food, water, and medical are top priorities. Doing well. Who's doing well? And doing well. Who is doing well, Donald Trump? September 26th. Six days after the devastation, he tweets that. It makes no sense. And then the president um, tweeted, they want everything to be done for them when it should be a community effort. Who's the community? The community has been destroyed. He added, scoffing at politically motivated ingrates who had criticized the federal work and assisting that tremendous progress was being made. So then the president arrived in Puerto Rico on October 3rd. Once the president was in Puerto Rico, he was jovial, making jokes about the debt again that Puerto Rico was in. He chose to toss relief products at the, at, at the awaiting crowd as opposed to handing them to people. The president even compared the death toll to Hurricane Katrina, calling Hurricane Katrina a real catastrophe. He compared them and called it, and called Katrina a real catastrophe. Callousness with such ease. The confoundment of it all. He said, he asked the governor of Puerto Rico, what is your death count as of this moment? 17? 16 people certified? 16 people versus in the thousands, he said, referring to the 2005 hurricane that killed 1,833 people, allegedly, in New Orleans. The number killed by Maria was later increased to 34, with 19 killed directly by the hurricane, according to, to a spokesperson for Governor Ricardo Rosello. Mr. Trump also pointed out the impact on U.S. spending from the storm recovery on the island, which itself was already facing a budget shortfall of $72 billion. Now, I hate to tell you, Puerto Rico, but you've thrown our budget a little out of whack because we spent a lot of money on Puerto Rico, and that's fine, he said. We've saved a lot of lives, he added. Things were not deployed until nine days later. And then it took 11 days, I believe, for troops to be on the ground. The psychological, sociological, emotional impact of that kind of devastation for 11 days with no oversight Because that's a lot to go through. And to hear thrown at you at the same damn time. And so the clarity in this situation is that the Jones Act has now been revealed to all. Because part of the reason things took so long, because there are laws in place to keep, to keep Puerto Rico oppressed. 
understand there are laws in place to keep them oppressed. And so the Jones Act is an obscure century-old law that requires all goods ferried between U.S. ports to be carried on ships built and owned and operated, okay, three strikes, by Americans. The Jones Act was established in 1920, was meant to promote shipping by U.S.-owned and operated um, vessels. So, but what did, in fact, was that it caused Puerto Ricans to have to pay more for things than um, people on the mainland do. You know, so Puerto Rico typically gets most of its gas from foreign sources, Canada and Europe. The Jones Act ships are so expensive that it doesn't make sense to buy gasoline from the U.S. Okay, and so, but plenty other things are much more expensive in Puerto Rico because of the Jones Act. Cars, for example, cost 40% more in Puerto Rico. That's terrible. Cars cost 40% more in Puerto Rico than on U.S. mainland, partly because of the law. And it also affects other necessities. Okay, so it affects necessities, not wants, but necessities. 40% here, 50% here. In 2010, a study of the University of Puerto Rico found that the Jones Act cost the island $537 million per year. The territory has been in a recession for 11 years and is suffering a crippling debt crisis. And still, the American Maritime Partnership, a coalition representing the domestic shipping industry, argues that the act supports national defense needs and ensures a vibrant maritime industry. For who? The Puerto Ricans are paying to live, literally, more than the rest of us. Ridiculous. But at least now, that's out in the open. You know, people are talking about it. It's all over the media, right? And then so Senator John McCain, um, who once ran for president, you know, he's getting older. He's the one that came out of having surgery, I think, on his brain or something like that to come and cast the vote so that, you know, they wouldn't take away the Affordable Health Care Act, also known as um, Obamacare. So Senator John McCain, Republican of Arizona, voiced his, his support for the effort. It is unacceptable to force the people of Puerto Rico to pay at least twice as much for food, clean drinking water, supplies, and infrastructure due to Jones Act requirements as they work to recover from this disaster. So prior to this, that's why the infrastructure was failing, because of the Jones Act. Okay, so now the New York Times is doing articles on the Jones Act. So then he went in and he waived the Jones Act, but only for nine days or ten days or something like that. Because he feels that, you know, he sides with, of course, the billionaires, the you know, the landowners, the ones that they feel they own the waters. <laughs> you know? And so there are other ones that are opposed. Those opposed to the act have long included officials and allies of Hawaii, Alaska, and Puerto Rico. They're the ones greatly affected by this who say that the laws increase shipping costs for goods from the mainland. Just getting stuff from the U.S. and their United States citizens costs more for them. 
which are then passed on to consumers. Its support its supporters include pro defense groups and members in the domestic ship, shipping industry whose interests it protects. You know. Finally, on Monday, the Department of Homeland Security, eight members of Congress asked for a temporary waiver of the act, arguing that lifting it would expand access to food, medicine, clothing, building supplies, and all needed for power plants. Puerto Rico can't borrow funds, and they're not required to use American shipping only. And they are required to use American shipping only, which is the most expensive in the world. American shipping is the most expensive in the world. In their hour of need, Washington can help by suspending the Jones Act, one of the letter signatories um, said in a statement. You know, and then John McCain also came to add his opinion to the mix in support of it. So there's more clarity, right? And so now, looking back into the history, you know, Cuba. Fidel Castro tried to warn them back in the days because they shared a struggle for independence together. On net, Cuba and Puerto Rico, a shared struggle for independence. You know, so years ago, back in, um, you know, Fidel remained a source of strength and a symbol of resistance for Puerto Ricans. He also took on the cause for liberation of Puerto Rico personally. You know, the Cuban government has also been instrumental in championing Puerto Rico's case in the international arena, most notably with the United Nations Decolonization Committee. From 1972 until today, it has helped pass 38 resolutions demanding Puerto Rican independence. But, you know, like the whole Puerto Rican independence movement was then, you know, has been squashed out. And um, ones were lulled, right, into a false sense of comfort. And I read somewhere, too, that Fidel said, you know, wait until you need them. You'll see what happens. When you're free, you can count on yourself. And you'll make sure things are in play for yourself. So now decisions of self-sufficiency, they have no choice. Decisions and self-sufficiency, as well as a new plan for revitalization and making sure that they are part of that plan, as opposed to the plan being made for them, that incorporates a new economic structural self-sufficiency, you know, that must be put in place. So in conclusion, the illusion is faltering and fracturing through their own hands. So they, though they thought that they dumbed down education and that they dumbed down the music and they dumbed down the musical frequencies and that they dumbed down television with replete with low moral standards and cringeworthy behavior, mass distributed and displayed would have sealed the most into an abyss of the deaf, dumb, and blind. But racism is on its last legs. As of 2008, the generation born that year shows that more babies of color were born than white children. Infertility, opioid abuse, record-breaking suicide numbers among white Americans has taken its toll. One would think that the ones in power would want to, you know, leave a, be beneficial at this time. 
right? Offer reconstruction and help this, during this time. Because the numbers don't lie. And, you know, they're so fearful that somebody wants to get them that they're getting everyone else first. It's like children, just bad children. And everything they spend and do, it comes back on them. Because now the Jones Act is out. You know, this man is just, everything is coming to a crescendo. Also, the measured increase of people who embrace all parts of their ethnicities. There are so many mixed-race peoples, and most of us are mixed-race and and mixed ethnicities, and it's grown vastly that people are embracing themselves, their hair, their skin, who they are, their culture. Either way, change is inevitable. But you have to be able to see clearly and not get dismantled and confounded and contorted in this madness. It is not for us. It was never meant for us. So we just have to keep our eyes on the most high so that we can prevail always and forever in Yeshua's name. I'm going to take a music moment and come back with the going gnosis. Blessings and grace. Set 
Blessings and grace, and we're back with the Go and Gnosis, your news infused with consciousness. On the top of the newsstand is the ABC News. Las Vegas attack is deadliest shooting in modern U.S. history. In modern U.S. history, Las Vegas attack. A gunman opened fire on an outdoor festival on the Las Vegas Strip, killing at least 58 and leaving more than 500 others wounded in the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. Authorities in Las Vegas say Stephen Paddock fired from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino across the street from a country music concert Sunday night. They say SWAT teams with explosives then stormed his room and found that he killed himself. Until now, the deadliest mass shooting happened last year at Orlando, Florida nightclub, Pure, where 49 were killed. Before that, the deadliest shooting in the U.S. was a 2007 attack at Virginia Tech in which a student killed 32 people before killing himself. So the gunman, identified by authorities as Stephen Paddock, opened fire on the outdoor music festival on the Las Vegas Strip from the 32nd floor of a hotel casino. That's horrible. People out there enjoying themselves, listening to their country music, and he decides to break down the window, supposedly, allegedly, with a hammer, and had more than 10 guns with him, and commenced the shooting out of the window into the crowd. And this window and it it was it was in a parking lot in between the Mandalay Bay and I think it's called the the one that's shaped like a pyramid. Luxor. The Luxor similar supposedly to the Luxor Temple. From the thirty second floor. Killing fifty. And so this made me look at, you know, um other times, there were deadly mass terrorist shootings in history. Let us not forget the East Louis, the East St. Louis massacre of 1917 that had 200 to 700 deaths. You know, and this was a black town in East St. Louis. You know, in the early years of the 20th century. Many industrial cities in the North and the Midwest became destinations for African-Americans migrating from the South looking for employment. So East St. Louis was one of these cities where blacks found opportunity for meatpacking, metalworking, and railroad companies. The demand for workers in these companies increased dramatically in the run-up to World War I, and some of the workmen left for service in the military, creating a need for replacements, and the demand for war material increased industrial orders. And the workforce had been highly unionized and it had a series of labor strikes, had increased pressures from um, companies and non-unionized workers to do the work. So some companies in East St. Louis actively recruited rural Southern blacks, offering them transportation and jobs, as well as the promise of settling in a community of neighborhoods where African-Americans were building new lives, strengthened by emerging political and cultural power. And by the spring of 1917, about 2,000 African-Americans arrived in East St. Louis every week. 2,000 came every week. Racial competition and conflict emerged from this. 
and the established unions in East St. Louis resented the African-American workers as scabs and strike breakers. And on May 28th and 29, a union meeting whose 3,000 attendees marched on the mayor's office to make demands about unfair competition devolved into a mob that rioted through the streets, destroyed buildings, and assaulted African-Americans at random. 3,000. The Illinois governor sent in the National Guard to stop the riot, but over the next few weeks, black neighborhood associations, fearful for their safety, organized for their own protection and determined that they would fight back if attacked again. And on July 1st, a white man driving a car through a black neighborhood began shooting into houses, stores, and a church. And a group of black men organized themselves to defend against the attackers. As they gathered together, they mistook an approaching car for the same one they had driven earlier through the neighborhood, and they shot and killed both men in the car, who in fact were police detectives sent to calm the situation, supposedly. Shooting the detectives incensed a growing crowd of white, spec- of white spectators who came the next day, and the crowd grew and turned into a mob that spent the day and the following night on a spree of violence that extended into the black neighborhoods of East St. Louis. Against the, again, the National Guard was sent in, but neither the guardsmen nor the police officers were at all effective in protecting the African-American residents and they were instead more disposed to construe their job as putting down a black revolt. As a result, some of the white mobs were virtually unrestrained. You know, so they wrecked havoc over that town, and they killed between 200 and 700 people. And then the Arkansas massacre of 1919, 854 deaths from that massacre. 854. Elaine, Arkansas, race massacre of 1919, hundreds of blacks killed by whites. The Elaine massacre was one of the most horrific events in history of of America. You know, it was by far the deadliest racial confrontation in Arkansas history and possibly the bloodiest racial conflict in the history of the United States. While its deepest roots lay in the state's commitment to white supremacy, the events in Elaine stem from the tense race relations and growing concerns about labor unions. A shooting incident occurred at a meeting at a progressive farmers and household union escalated into mob violence on the part of white people in Elaine, Phillips County, and surrounding areas. Although the exact number is, is um, unknown, estimates of the number of African Americans killed range from the hundreds um, to five white people lost their lives. 854. The conflict began on, in 30th, 1919, when approximately 100 African Americans, um, who were mostly sharecroppers on the plantation of white landowners, attended a meeting of the Progressive Farmers and Household Union of America at a church in Hoopspur, which is also in Phillips County, three miles north of Elaine. And the purpose of the meeting, one of, this, one of several by black sharecroppers in the Elaine area during the previous month, was to obtain better payments for their cotton crops from the white plantation workers who dominated the area during the Jim Crow era. So black sharecroppers were often exploited in their efforts to collect payment for their cotton crops. And so in previous months, um, racial conflict had occurred in numerous cities in America, including Washington, D.C., Chicago, Illinois, Knoxville, Tennessee, Indianapolis, Indiana, 
with labor conflicts escalating throughout the country at the end of World War I. Government and business interpreted the demands of labor increasingly as the work of foreign ideologies, you know, not just common sense. So thrown into this highly combustible mix was the return of the United States of black soldiers who were often exhibited as less submissive attitude within the Jim Crow society around them because they just went around the world and they fought for this country, right? They believed the illusion. And they thought that, you know, they would come home like the other soldiers and have jobs. So unions such as the the progressive farmers represented not only a threat to the tenet of white um, white supremacy, but also the basic concept of capitalism. Although the United States was on the winning side, supposedly, of World War I, supporters supporters of of the American capitalism found in consumerism a new menace to their security. With the success of the Russian Revolution, stopping the spread of international communism was seen as the duty of loyal Americans. So they saw people, you know, banding together to fight for more rights and better wages as communism. You know, and another time, of course, was the Tulsa Massacre of 1921, 300 deaths, and then the Rosewood Massacre in which they made a movie about. You know, so these massacres are nothing new. And God bless the ones from all the massacres, including Columbine, you know, and and all these places where this energy is set on killing for some reason. You know, and so um, Representative Al Green says that black Americans should stop going to the White House until President Trump apologizes for calling the NFL players sons of bitches. And he's introduced articles of impeachment on those egregious statements that President Trump made. And also this week, O.J. Simpson was released from prison after nine years. And so the attorney general over in Florida where his family lives, where he wants to go and reside, wrote a letter to the to the um to the parole board saying she doesn't want him in her state and she doesn't believe that he as a convicted criminal should come and live the life of of a um in a um country club she used the word. He's not gonna come and live in a country club here in Florida. Since when can you tell an American what state he can't live in? He served his time. There are lots of convicted criminals living in the state of Florida. Why can't this man go and be with his, be with his children? He is 70 years old. He has served his time. The blessings out to O.J. Simpson. Hopefully he doesn't make the wrong move and associate with the wrong ones. To mess up his, his um the last chapter of his existence here on this planet. I'm gonna take a music moment and come back with technology. Blessings and grace.
will I ever see? Oh, will I ever see daylight? Daylight. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? I could lose my mind if I don't see this through.
segment because it is a form of technology. It's chemical technology. You know, this opioid crisis is really huge. This opioid crisis that's happening in America um, is affecting the way humans are being made now. There's a total increase of, of, of babies being born addicted to opioids. And um, they just had a PBS special. They're having it right now. It's a four-part four series. And so they said that when they come out of the womb, their eyes are darting in circles, and their tongues repeatedly jut out, and the babies claw at their faces. And they have to keep the lights down low and speak softly, and their cries are unlike any ever heard before. 
Now, in West Virginia alone, one in five babies are born like this. This is a whole new technological chemical phenomenon, thanks to Merck and Pfizer and all of these drug companies that make these opioids. Maine, Vermont, West Virginia, they, they, they've seen a quadruple increase in babies born. And so because these, these, these children are so different than anything the medical community has ever seen before, lots of um, parents are not taking them home. And so foster care agencies, you know, people are not taking these babies in, and when they're getting there, returning them. So now they were talking about there may be like asylum in the future for these new types of beings that are born infused with these drugs. And this situation, you know, when I was reading about it and watching um, the program on PBS, um, so this is what they meant by the walking dead, you know, and all of these type of zombie movies, we have this new type of human. One in five. West Virginia is a big place. It's a big, you know, it's it's really big. So babies going through NAS suffer from gastrointestinal dysfunction, temperature instability, nervous system problems, tremors, high-pitched crying, seizures, you know, and it's all because of the opioid exposure in the womb. And people that have opioid, you know, dependencies. And so it spiked, it spiked to unprecedented numbers and all of these children being brought into the world with these symptoms and cognitive impairments. So we have to know and prepare what it is we are setting ourselves up for in the future. And so on Newsweek.com, Drugs are supercharged with quantum dots could reverse antibiotic resistance. You know, so now they're using quantum dots to supercharge drugs to reverse antibiotic resistance. And this is on Newsweek.com. So bacteria that are resistant to current antibiotics are growing an alarming problem. A new solution comes from an unexpected place, light-activated chemicals, that supercharge antibiotics so that the bacteria cannot withstand them. So drug-resistant infections are a serious concern, and some strains of bacteria, most known as um, commonly known as E. coli, for example, have become resistant to um, drugs like carpapenem, usually considered antibiotics of last resort. Even the bacteria that causes strep, um, strep throat is also increasingly becoming drug resistant. And the list goes on and includes several potentially fatal illnesses such as Mars, MRSA. You know, so they feel that adding light activated particles to antibiotics to save someone infected with a drug resistant bug from dying. So this came from the researchers at the University of Colorado, um, including a self-styled quantum biologist. Prashnat Nangpal think that um, this may be possible, and his team has published the results in a series of experiments using quantum dots, tiny semiconductive particles, and science advances on Wednesday. Um, the paper builds on previous work published in Nature Materials. Again, these always are called Nature for some reason. So 
they want to fight it with chemically quantum dots. And on theguardian.com, they have this article called The Enemy Within. Mars crews could be at risk from onboard microbes. Microbes, you know, so apparently the findings come from an analysis of data collected during the Mars 500 product that um, they spent, you know, days cooped up, and the results showed the capsule was teeming with microbes with a module of the craft in which the men slept in, ate, and relaxed, showing the greatest abundance for both surface and air samples. So overall, you know, um, the microbe diversity fell over time, but they also were able to, to um, pinpoint microbial hotspots, you know, which include external surfaces of the toilet and tables. And so in doing so, they're saying that, you know, they can be bringing these, these um, microbes are not being cleared and become a health hazard and coming back to Earth. You know, so they're getting ready to um, study these health hazards that are caused by the microorganisms. And on zmscience.com, scientists make their first quantum video call, which is supposedly unhackable. So Chinese researchers made the first quantum-secure video using subatomic particles called photons, and the call was made between the Chinese Academy of Sciences and the Australian Academy of Sciences, demonstrating the practicality of quantum key distribution, a feat that will likely radically change the way sensitive data is shared from now on. This is a new way sensitive data will be shared from now on. This was the climax of more than 10 years of research on behalf of the Chinese scientists. And so um, earliest this year, they launched MISIUS, the first quantum satellite into Earth's orbit. And the exchange of quantum encrypted information over intercontinental distances confirms the potential of quantum communication technologies and as opened up by fundamental research. You know, so quantum physicists at the University of, v of Vienna, he's convinced that this is the step you know, toward worldwide secure quantum internet. So look out for those words, you know, and they're making phone calls that cannot be hacked. That's a great thing because everything we do now is recorded, period, the end, you know. It's just recorded. I was on my laptop earlier today, and I was checking out my settings, and I was looking at um, – I was listening to something. And so I was changing the settings so that the sound would be available to me. And I noticed that the mic – the built-in mic is just always on. It's always on when your laptop's open. You know, so I had to physically go in and I clicked line in. Then I saw those dots stop going. And because I had nothing in the line in receptor, it wasn't recording anymore. So that's just a tip, <laughs> just for some privacy. Because they're recording everything, our whole lives. Engineering.com. Um, the one good thing that happened um, this week, um, God bless what the ones in Mexico, they're using robotic snake. Robotic snakes perform search and rescue after, Mex after Mexico um, earthquakes. So Carnegie Mellon University researchers last week deployed snake-like robots to search for trapped survivors in a Mexico City apartment building that collapsed in the 7.1 magnitude earthquake that shook the city on September 19th. The multi-jointed multi snake bot provided rescue workers with the video feed from two different passes through the rubble, but it did not find any survivors. 
But it's good to know that that type of robot exists for those hard-to-reach places to still give, you know, faith and hope that someone can still get help. They need to make more of those. So blessings, you know, to um, the ones that created that and that they thought to take it to Mexico and use it there. And something interesting and weird is on the newrepublic.com, Silicon Valley's religious drive. You know, so engineer Anthony Landonvowski has reportedly founded a religion led by bots, the latest manifestation of the tech's world's spiritual underpinnings. The bots, our children, do not behave. They have taken over the Internet. Bots account for more than half of the Internet traffic and interfered supposedly with our elections. But instead of being unnerved by the bots' growing power, Anthony Landonvowski would like to make one God. The Silicon Valley engineer who has been accused by Waymo, Google's self-driving car company, of trying to steal trade secrets and give them to Uber in 2015, founded a religious organization called Way of the Future, Wire reported last week. Its previously unreported state filings is nothing less than to develop and promote the realization of a godhead based on artificial intelligence. Nobody but Landowski knows if he's really believes he can create a god bot, considering his obsession with artificial intelligence. It is altogether possible that he does. And while that may seem nuts, people have started religions for stranger reasons. The way of the future could be an elaborate tax scam, and this would still not necessarily invalidate its claims to be a religion. People sincerely believe in Scientology, after all. Further, Landowski's belief isn't so strange within the context of Silicon Valley, which has long invested religious hopes in its creation. Hmm, who knew that Silicon Valley has long invested religious hopes in its creations? But no matter how far the tech industry advances, its genius minds can't exercise their humanity. The belief that we could one day evolve into a new technologically enhanced species, Peter Thiel's rumored lust for young blood would supposedly help him live forever, cryogenic resurrection, they thinly disguise the same fear of death, overstand, and desire for salvation that propel religions the world over. In this respect, the divine bot seems less like science fiction and more like an inevitable development, proof of what Samuel Longcore called a vibrant religious culture in the valley. They want to make a Godhead bot, and they're saying it's part of a vibrant religious culture in the valley. At the beginning, bots were simply chatbots. Um, a Facebook engineer explained in TechCrunch, these primitive beings could do little more than respond to our prompts with, programmed, with pre-programmed text. In an act of theistic evolution, we have encouraged them to grow and become more sophisticated. There are now good bots, which do things like scan the internet for copyright violations, and bad bots, which can launch basic direct denial of service attacks and spread policy and spread politicized misinformation on platforms like Twitter. So, you know, this man is making a religion based on this. So they're saying science is like religion, an effort to transcend that ends by accepting a world that is beyond understanding. Just like faith, reason must at last submit. So reason has to submit. You know, the final end of science is the revelation of the absurd, supposedly. You know, so... Silicon Valley, then, is no anomaly, but rather the most recent and vivid manifestation of our dissatisfaction with our own humanity. I think that sentence was well said because, you know, they have dissatisfaction with themselves if they're looking toward a bot 
you know, as God. And supposedly it's spreading. People. <laughs> the confoundment and befuddlement never ceases to amaze any given day. On any given day. So we have to make sure that we see clear at all times. And especially on the internet, you know, these bots. Is it live? Is it memorex? Is it is it is it a real person or is it a bot that you're corresponding with? Because they could program them to do anything, to talk back and forth, to email you, you know, and then and then they get like a they get some kind of notification that says that you're primed and ready for interference because of all of your association and back and forth with it. And then you're stuck on stupid stutter-stepping. So we have to be weary of the bots. Be weary. We're going to take a music moment and come back with Herbnology. Blessings and grace. Keeping it glow. 
flow, we naturally illuminate. Why are women getting hydraulics on their gluteus? Maximus, your attractiveness is a divine you. Just gotta fine tune. Let me remind you. Oh, 
There's a place I know that you can go. The door is always open wide. My slow will hold up very low. The ceiling sway, the sky. The windows there are very clear. Revealing the light that will redeem you. The place is there, inside your mind. Simple yet so hard to find. Yet so hard to find. Blessings and grace, and I'm back with Herbnology. And with all these distractions happening 
and attempts of confoundment. I looked up um, herbs to help you sleep. You know, a lot of us, uh, things that are spreading through our minds based on the distractions and the images presented. So valerian has been prized since ancient times for its effectiveness at reducing anxiety and restless feelings. You know, valerian is helpful for difficulty in falling asleep and also prevents nighttime waking. It's taken in a capsule form and has a strong smell and an unpleasant flavor. So it's better to take it in a um, capsule as opposed to a tea. And you'll find it combined with other calming herbs and passion flower, which is beautiful. It's a beautiful flower um, when it when uh, when on um, flowers. But the dried flowers, leaves, and stem increase the levels of GABA in the brain, leading to a relaxed, calm mood and reducing insomnia and anxiety. So the flavor of passion flower tea isn't for everyone. It's often described as taking tasting like grass or hay, but you can improve it by adding honey. Um, you know, to help it taste better. Another one and more common one commonly known is chamomile. The daisy-like flowers of chamomile have been used for centuries to relieve anxiety and insomnia and improve a person's overall mood. Um, And so, you know, you can steep the dried flowers in hot water for 10 minutes to brew in a mild, pleasant cup of tea and add a bit of honey to that before bedtime. Um, Hops. Um, You might know hops best as a flavoring ingredient in beer, But the dried flowers have also been used for centuries to calm the mind and promote sleep. The active ingredient in hops is believed to be a mild sedative. You can brew hops tea, and the flavor is strong and rather bitter. Most people prefer to take hops in capsule form. You'll find it combined with with, um, valerian a lot in the capsule form as the two herbs complement each other on their calming effects. And catnip. Catnip is renowned for its stimulating effect on felines. Um, It's a member of the mint family, but but catnip is also useful as a sedative, a sleep aid, and a remedy for tension headaches. That's good to know for those ones that have tension headaches, catnip. A member of the mint family, um, catnip makes a pleasantly flavored mild tea, and that's tasty on its own or mixed with other calming herbs. And also lemon balm. Lemon balm, of course, is lemon leaf. It has a lemon flavor, and it's a member of the mint family. And, and so what it does is that it reduces stress, anxiety, promotes sleep, improves memory, and helps to soothe the upset stomach. And it's often combined with other herbs that are known for mood lifting and stress reducing, particularly valerian hops and chamomile. So you can also try some lemon balm tea. Um, before bedtime, you can take it in a capsule or in a tincture form, a tincture and some juice or some water. And lavender is also um, well known for promoting sleep and reducing stress. And the distinctive fragrance comes in um, aromatic volatile oils, which reduce blood pressure and calm the mind and encourages deep levels of restful sleep. So lavender is most used um, in dried and dream pillows. Um, also, um, essential oil added to the bath, diffused in the bedroom, or sprayed onto the bed linens. You can also drink lavender tea or take a capsule. And last but not least, California poppy. Although it's a member of the poppy family, the active components of California poppy are bioactive alkaloids, not opiates. <laughs> Praise the Mozart. Once dried, the pretty orange petals 
and the lacy foliage of California state flower are mildly sedating, and it also reduces pain, insomnia, and anxiety. You know, so you can make California poppy tea. The taste is bitter. You know, you have to have your bitters and your sweet. And you'll find better relief from taking the capsule or a concentrated tincture of the herb. Okay, so again, that's California poppy, lavender, lemon balm, catnip, hops, chamomile, passion flower, and valerian. Hopefully that's helpful to ones that need a good night's rest. You know, I also will be incorporating this information <laughs> in my life. Um, and we're going to take a music moment and come back with the metaphys of the moment. Blessings and grace. I must listen, 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 listen to learn, listen, listen, listen to learn, listen, listen, listen to learn. Listen, 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 listen to learn. Listen, 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 Listen to learn, listen, listen, listen to learn, listen, listen, listen. The dance is over, face reality. Forget the sorrow. It is time you open up that metaphysical grave that has been dug for you, the part of you, the spark that lays buried. That is what's going to open you up. That's what's going to give you the ability to escape. Escape your metaphysical mind. 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 Blessings and welcome to the metaphysics of the moment. I'm going to turn back to the book of Enoch, also known as 
Chapter 91, that which was written by Enoch. He wrote all of this instruction of every wisdom for every man of dignity and of every judge of the earth, for all my children who shall dwell upon the earth and for subsequent generations, conducting themselves uprightly and peaceably. Let not your spirit be grieved on account of the times. Let not your spirit be grieved on account of the times, for the Holy, the Great One, has prescribed a period to all. Let the righteous man arise from slumber. Let him arise and proceed in the path of the righteousness, in all its paths. And let him advance in goodness and internal clemency. Mercy shall be sowed and showed to the righteous man. Upon him shall be conferred integrity and power forever. In goodness and in righteousness shall he exist and shall walk in everlasting light. But sin shall perish in eternal darkness, nor be seen from that time forward evermore. Began to speak from a book. And Enoch said, concerning the children of righteousness, concerning the elect of the world, and concerning the plant of righteousness and integrity, concerning these things will I speak. And these things will I explain to you, my children, I who am Enoch, in consequence of that which has been shown to me from my heavenly vision and from the voice of the holy angels, have I acquired knowledge, and from the tablet of heaven have I acquired understanding. Enoch then began to speak from a book and said, I have been born the seventh in the first week, while judgment and righteousness wait in patience. But after me, in the second week, great wickedness shall arise, and fraud shall spring forth. And in that week, the end of the first shall take place, in which mankind shall be safe. But when the first is completed, inequity shall grow up, and during the second week, upon the sinners. Afterwards, in the third week, during its completion, a man of the plant of righteous judgment shall be selected. And after him, the plant of righteousness shall come forever. Subsequently, in the fourth week, during its completion, the visions of the holy and the righteous shall be seen, and the order of generation after generation shall take place, and the habitation habitation shall be made for them. Then in the fifth week during its completion, the house of glory and of dominion shall be erected forever. After that, in the sixth week, all those who are in it shall be darkened, and the hearts of all of them shall be forgetful of wisdom. And in it man, and in it shall a man arise and come forth. And during its completion, he shall burn the house of dominion with fire, and all the race of the elect root shall be dispersed. In the seventh week, a perverse generation shall arise. Abundant shall be its deeds, and all its deeds perverse. During its completion, the righteous shall be selected from the everlasting plant of righteousness. And to them shall be given the sevenfold doctrine of his whole creation. Afterwards, there shall be another week, the eighth of righteousness, to which shall be given a sword to execute judgment and justice upon all oppressors. 
sinners shall be delivered up into the hands of the righteous, who during its completion shall acquire habitations by their righteousness, and the house of the great king shall be established for celebrations forever. After this, in the ninth week, shall the judgment of righteousness be revealed to the whole world. Every work of the ungodly shall disappear from the whole earth. The world shall be marked for destruction, and all men shall be on the watch for the path of integrity. And after this, on the seventh day of the tenth week, there shall be an everlasting judgment, which shall be executed upon the watchers, and a spacious eternal heaven shall spring forth in the midst of angels. The former heaven shall depart and pass away. A new heaven shall appear. And all the celestial powers shall shine, shall shine with sevenfold splendor forever. Afterwards, likewise, shall there be many weeks, which shall externally exist in goodness and in righteousness. Neither shall sin be named there forever and ever. Is there of all the children of men capable of hearing the voice of the Holy One without emotion? Who is there capable of thinking his thoughts? Who is capable of contemplating all the workmanship of heaven? Who of comprehending the deeds of heaven? He may behold its animation, but not its spirit. He may be capable of conversing, respecting it, but not of ascending to it. He may see all the boundaries of these things and meditate upon them, but he can make nothing like them. Who of all men is able to understand the breadth and length of the earth by whom have been seen the dimensions of all these things? Is it every man who is capable of comprehending the extent of heaven, what its elevation is, and by what it's supported? How many are the numbers of the stars and where all the luminaries remain at rest? And now let me exhort you, my children, to love righteousness and to walk in it, for the paths of righteousness are worthy of, accept of exception. Acceptation, excuse me. But the paths of iniquity shall suddenly fall and be diminished. To men of note in their generations, the paths of oppression and death are revealed but they keep far from them and do not follow them. Now, too, let me exhort you who are righteous not to walk in the paths of evil and oppression, nor in the paths of death. Approach them not, that you may not perish, but covet, and choose for yourselves righteousness and a good life. Walk in the paths of peace, that you may live and be found worthy. Retain my words in your innermost thoughts, and obliterate them not from your heart. For I know that sinners counsel men to commit crime craftily. They are not found in every place, nor does every counsel possess a little of them. Woe to those who build iniquity and oppression, and who lay the foundation of fraud. For suddenly shall they be subverted and never obtain peace. Woe to those who build up their houses with crime. For from their very foundations, shall their houses be demolished, and by the sword shall they themselves fall. Those too who acquire gold and silver shall justly and suddenly perish. Woe to you who are rich, for in your riches have you trusted, 
For from your riches you shall be removed, because you have not remembered the Most High in the days of your prosperity. You have committed blasphemy and iniquity and are destined to the day of the effusion of blood and the day of darkness and the day of great judgment. This I will declare and point out to you, that he who created you will destroy you. When you fall, he will not show you mercy, but your creator will rejoice in your destruction. Let those then who shall be righteous among you in those days detest sinners and the ungodly. In Yeshua's name, amen. And so the metaphysical meaning of Enoch, there are two Enochs in the Bible. One is the son of Cain, a city that Cain built and named after his son, and that's in Genesis 4.17. But the second is the son of Jared and father of Methuselah, mentioned in Genesis 5.18-24. The, the, the latter Enoch, the one from Genesis, was the man who walked with God and was translated all right, we can't get lost in translation, was translated, who did not die, Hebrews 11.5. So the metaphysical meaning of Enoch is, is the entrance into an instruction in a new state of thought. Enochian times, okay? We have to enter into an instruction and, and maintain instruction in a new state of thought. It's going to be a new world. We are in a new world. Not it's going to be. It is of understanding. In the case of Enoch, who walked with God, the new state of thought would be spiritual consciousness, the new life in Christ. Okay, and the metaphysical meaning, which I spoke of in the past of um, Hebrew, because that's who's walking in the new thought, right? For ideas. The Hebrews surely represent the thoughts in man that have come up out of the purely material and passed over to a higher concept of God and of his laws into a closer and clearer relationship with God. These thoughts are, however, still under law, the law of sin and death. For true freedom, spiritual understanding and realization, life and peace come only by the still higher way, by the still higher way which is the Christ method, the way taught and demonstrated by Yeshua. And so Hebrew comes from Eber, right? And so that means passed over, to come over, to overcome on the other side, beyond, beyond the world, right? A chute, a ladder, right? So the metaphysical meaning, Shem was the son of Noah, he typifies the spiritual in man. Eber, a great-grandson of Shem, reveals the germination, a shoot in man's consciousness, the opening, the portal, in the spiritual phase of his being. Beyond signifies the individual at the period of his unfoldment that is suggested by Eber. He has not yet come to full growth spiritually, right? The time when he can bring forth the perfect fruit of the spirit to, to the eternal life and wholeness is still in the future. However, he has over, come over on the other side of his old conception of mortality, right? Because we don't die, right? We just leave this garment behind and get a new one, right? The one from the most high and has entered into a new perception of truth and the possibility of limitless attainment. Right, the Eber who was a Benjamite denotes the quickening of the faith quality in men, the quickening of the faith quality and its growth in consciousness. The Eber priest 
typifies still another way in which the spiritual is the beginning to show itself in and through the individual, right? Your actions, your walk, your talk, everything, it shows through. And so I referenced Jude in the praise up in the beginning and so the metaphysical meaning of Jude, Jude or Thaddeus among the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ represents the faculty of elimination, right? Of elimination. We have to use, um, you know, deductive reasoning, elimination. So inductive reasoning, inductive is more open-ended and exploratory, right? And so we do that during the early stages of, 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 um, of um, understanding. And so deductive reasoning is more narrow, right? Narrow the focus, overstand. And is generally used to test or confirm hypothesis. So most social research, however, involves both inductive and deductive reasoning throughout the process, you know, but you have to eliminate, you have to deduce, get down to the facts of the matter, you know, and so Jude, right, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ represents the faculty of elimination of deduction, you know, and the metaphysical meaning of regeneration, because that's what has to happen. You know, regeneration, a change in which abundant spiritual life, even eternal life, is incorporated into the body. The transformation that takes place through the bringing all the forces of mind and body to support the Christ ideal. The unification of spirit, soul, and body in spiritual oneness. Regeneration begins its work in the conscious mind. In the conscious mind you know, and completes it in, and it, and then it completes in the subconsciousness. You got to go deep and dig deep and translate these words of the most high into the subconscious so that, so that it's there for you to guide and connect with cleansing or denial in which all error thoughts are renounced. This includes forgiveness for sins committed, and a, and a general clearing of the whole consciousness. After the way has been prepared, the second steps take place, and that is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right, so there has to be a clearing that there can be an outpouring, and then there can be made space. Understand? We have to, you know, really praise the Most High right now and thank Him all the blessings he has bestowed because so many are going through such a hardship that if you're not having that kind of hardship, you need to be in praise and praise and, and, and just enjoying the revelation of your safety. And Yeshua's name. We're going to take a music moment. Blessings and grace.
blessings and grace. I believe in your destiny, okay? And Yeshua's name, that grace be upon your steps and love be in your heart and light be in your burden, okay? I want to thank you again for joining me this evening. Anytime you're listening to this podcast, thank you for tuning in on any of the areas that you found me, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, also on um, Google Play Music, Beautiful Love, you know, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, blessings and grace for all those that have joined in this journey that we share together called Life on these sound waves. I'd like to give a shout out to my co-host, The Frequency That Helps to Express My Path, and that was just Imani Azuri singing Sun Moon Child, Abija Lioness, Every Day is a Blessing, Pastor Snow, Flute on Steroids, Sun Ra, God Spell, Sarak, Chi High Swords Low, John Nine, Listen, Georgia Ann Muldrow, The Key, Black Amolo, Truth and Rights, Ty Phoenix, Waking Up, Macy Blue, Sankofa, John Nine, Misunderstood, Zaki Ibrahim, Daylight, Kia Stewart, Winner, Rima, Higher Powers, Hempress Sativa, and Zothea, Beautiful Adventure. Of course, the Whitefield Brothers featuring Bajaka, Earthology, Sarak, Little Spaceship, and John Nine, Legitimate. I'd like to give a special shout out to Sister and Hodesh and Raskanani Tafari for the lovely posters that they've produced on behalf of the Women Wednesday program. Blessings and love to you and your family, and I appreciate your efforts. Thank you again. Go in grace.
It's telling me to break 